since we did a, a special Father's Day study last week and we kind of looked at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, I thought it'd be good to complete the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to be doing that, but we're going to look at it from uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and these guys will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 14. Starting in verse 9, Jesus says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. The title of my message this morning is Desperate in Prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together to be in this place and to come before you and learn from your word, Lord, what you have to say to each one of us here today. Lord, we know you have something to say to us personally, Lord, to something to say to us uh, as a church and we just want to have open ears to receive all that you have for us today. Bless our time together, we pray. Father, we do pray if there's anyone here that's yet to come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. They're not born again yet this morning. Would you especially touch their heart, help them to see their need for you. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a story found about a husband and wife who are traveling on vacation from California, and they're traveling across country, and as they're passing through Texas, they spotted a tornado coming their way. Rightly freaked out, they pulled off to the side of the road and got out of the car and crouched down beside their car. At the last moment, the tornado veered off away from them and moved across a field, totally hit and demolished a small wooden home. Well, the man and woman, still shaking in fear, got up, ran to the house to see if everyone was, was okay. The house looked now more like a pile of lumber with a hole in the ground. They looked down and they saw this old man holding on for dear life to a piece of lumber, his eyes tightly closed. The woman called out, hey down there, you all right? To which the old man opened his eyes, looked around and cautiously said, I, I guess so. The woman then asked, is there anyone else with you? To which the old man replied, no, just me and God, and we're having an urgent conversation. I believe we are living in desperate times, an urgent time. Yet the church doesn't seem to be desperate before God in prayer. My wife and I just got back yesterday from visiting our son Matthew in Washington, D.C., and, and uh it was great seeing the monuments, but as we walked around the city itself, it was clear just to see how much we need to be praying for our country. Uh, I mean, we need to be having urgent conversations with our God. Because there's a spiritual conflict taking place all around us, good and evil, right and wrong, truth and lies, a very real spiritual battle taking place in our nation today, in our world today. 
And we're beginning to see the results of that in the lives of the people around us. We need to understand that there is a spirit world and it's divided into two categories, the forces of good and the forces of evil. And these are constantly at combat with each other and diametrically diametrically opposed to each other. So that as you and I enter into prayer, we are stepping right into battle, right into the front lines, and we begin to fight in this spiritual warfare. Paul the Apostle put it well when he said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high place. And it goes on to tell us that we're to put on the whole armor of God. I see that armor in the back, and it's reminded me of the, the whole armor of God. We need to close ourselves as Christians for the battle, topping it off, as Paul would say in verse 18 of Ephesians, uh, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Then we're told in 2 Corinthians 10:4 that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're not carnal because it's not a, a physical battle we're in. It's a spiritual battle. And so our weapons and our armor must be spiritual in order to be of any use. And the biggest weapons that we have is that of prayer. And through prayer, we have divine power to pull down the strongholds of the enemy. More victories are wrought through prayer than by any other means. Now, what is shocking is that God has given us such a powerful weapon, yet we're defeated over and over and over again. Why? Because although we possess the weapon, we seldom use it. And as Christians, we're so often trying to defend our weapons. You know, take, for example, you know, people who argue against the Bible. And we defend it. You know, oh, you know, well, the Bible is a great weapon. The, the Bible is the truth. It's God's word. Listen, don't defend it. Use it. You know, if you're in a sword fight, you don't say, you better watch out because I got a really nice sword. It's really, really sharp. It could really hurt you. Use a sword. <laughs> you know, you want to use it. Someone says, well, I don't think I'm really going to have to pay for my sins. Oh, yeah, pull up that sword. Well, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jab him, poke him. Well, I think there's many ways to God. Oh yeah, pull the sword out. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Use the sword. Don't just defend about the Bible. In the same way, we're always talking about our weapon of prayer and how powerful it is. Shouldn't we be using it? Shouldn't we be praying more? And this brings us to the subject this morning of being desperate in prayer. Because one thing that comes out through the pages of Scripture clearly is the fact that, that prayer can dramatically change situations, people, and sometimes even the course of nature. It's been said, if you are swept off your feet, it's time to get on your knees. And I believe that. And I've pointed this out many times before. The objective of prayer is not to change God or to get Him to do something different. The objective, objective of prayer is to align myself with the will and the purposes of God. Because the thing that changes most when we pray is you. You change when you pray. I change when I pray. And God will allow hardships and challenges and, and needs and sometimes even tragedy in our lives so He can reveal Himself to us, so we can put His, His power and glory on display through our lives. He allows things to happen in our lives so that we'll turn to Him in prayer. So why do we need to pray? Well, because we're weak. 
Maybe that's, maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't pray so much is because we don't know that yet. We think we're so strong. We think we're, we're so resourceful. In fact, we usually regard prayer as the last resort. Well, pretty much done everything I could. Now all that's left to do is pray. How about starting with prayer? You know, that's the first thing we need to do. We need God's help. That's why we pray. And again, the way the world is today, we definitely need to be praying like we've never prayed before. Now, I pointed out last week in Luke chapter 11 that this prayer is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but but reality, John 17 is the Lord's Prayer, but we're not going to change its name now because it's been that for very too long. But this this isn't a prayer that Jesus prayed for himself verbatim. This is a prayer that he gave his, to his disciples. He gave to us kind of a template that Jesus would have us to follow to, in, our, in our prayers. Jesus never would have prayed, uh, forgive us our sins. Because Jesus uh, never sinned. There, there's no sin at all. So this was a prayer given by Jesus to us as a template. Now, we pointed out in our last prayer, or last message rather, the Lord's Prayer begins with the acknowledgement that God is our Father. That word father was Abba. We looked at that daddy. We can come to him as our, as our daddy as a child coming to a father for help. But we also pointed out last time that, that right after that it says, Hallowed be your name. That is to recognize the greatness of our God. That you're speaking to the almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe who just so happens to be your father, your, your daddy. We pray our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Honored is your name. And then we looked at it when we prayed, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for the three different applications there, if you recall. Praying for the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Your kingdom come. Lord, don't you think it's about time? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then we're praying for a personal request. When we pray, Your kingdom come, we're praying, My kingdom go. Your kingdom come. And then the third thing we looked at last week was a request for the salvation of those that do not yet know Christ. Lord, would your kingdom come upon this loved one who is not saved, that they would come into your kingdom, they would come to know you. Then our last point we had last week was your will be done, his will to be done. So often we're praying God to bless our will. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, your will be done. Now, this brings us now to the last half of this prayer, this beautiful prayer, and it deals with three requests. If you're taking notes, we'll see, uh, number one, provision, number two, forgiveness, number three, temptation. First is provision. Now, I think, sadly, some people only pray, they only come to the Lord when they need something. Their prayer is often, our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) Skip the whole middle part. Listen, there is a place for petition, but not before we recognize the greatness of our God. Because oftentimes, as we pray and we lift up the greatness of our God and the character of our God and the goodness of our God and the power of our our God, suddenly our needs get smaller and smaller to the point where you go, I I forgot what I even came here asking you for, Lord, because you're just so great. You got this. You're in control. But understand, there is a place for personal petition in our prayers. Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, Jesus is teaching that we we are to pray for our daily provision in our life. Now, for the first century Jews, bread was a part of their diet. It was a staple. Pretty much every meal involved bread. They had no, you know, no-carb diets back then. (laughs) 
Bread was a part of their diets. It was essential. It was utilized every single day. And of course, we remember the temptation of Jesus from the devil was to turn the stone into bread. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have to say that's one of my weaknesses, that, that I love bread. I love the hard, crunchy, crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside. I, 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 man, I, I, I love bread. I can resist dessert. I can resist chocolate. But put a hot roll in front of me with a little bit of honey butter sitting by, and I have to tell you, it's tough to resist. Texas Roadhouse is troubling to me. Because they take you to your seat, and they said, the bread, you know, and then you follow that bread all the way to your seat. Then you sit down there, and you, I mean, you're, now you smelt it for the whole trip to the seat. Then you, you get into it, and then they come by, and they see that it's empty. Would you like some more bread? No, 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 no. Yes, please, now. <laughs> Bring it to me now. I comfort myself knowing that the, the Jews would eat bread in every meal. And Jesus, being a Jew, he would as well. So I'm just being like Jesus. But, but when the Bible speaks of bread, uh, our daily bread, it's not just speaking of that particular food item. It's speaking of food in general. It's really saying, Lord, give me all the food that I need, all the clothing that I need, all, all the housing that I need, uh, all the things I need for this life. In other words, every necessary, everything necessary for the preservation of this life. So we're to ask God for the provision for our needs. He wants us to come to him in prayer and request things. Now, let me say, not for our greeds, but for our needs. And then, you know, clearly the Bible teaches in James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. When you think about that, I mean, if you realize that, this opens up the door. There's many things we don't have in our life simply because We've, cut, we've failed to, to ask Him for these things, for God to provide for them. We need to learn to pray specifically, expecting the Lord to answer. Lord, would you, I pray, help me with this thing that I'm going through. Lord, I pray that you would provide for that. Maybe it's a, a prodigal son or daughter. Maybe you're in a rough place in your marriage. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's a, a health crisis. You have not because you ask not. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. So being a child of God in the kingdom of God and having 24-7 access to our king, we need to come to him for everything. Yes, church, we can ask for God's provision in our lives. Yes, even the mundane things, even the things that I may think are small, uh, he's concerned about. I mean, think about if you have your own kids. No problem is too small, no problem is too big that you wouldn't want to help them. My little granddaughter Maddie, just saw her yesterday, she is. Papa, I have that. Guess what, if it's something that's not going to harm her, she's got it. Instantly, here you go, sweetheart. <laughs> it's yours, baby. I'm going to give it to her. Same way Jesus put it this way in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, 11 through 13. He said, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I personally think when Jesus said this, the people probably laughed. I think they chuckled. I mean, the idea of your little child coming to you and saying, Daddy, Daddy, can I have a piece of bread? No, but you can have this snake. (laughs) Ah, you know... Freaky. 
Daddy, can I have an egg? No, but you can have a live scorpion. Now, what do you think? I mean, what kind of parent would do that? Some psycho dad or... No parent would do that to their kids, unless their kids are into snakes and scorpions, and then sure, but... My point is, as a parent, you want to provide for your children. How much more will your father provide for you? How much more will God provide for your needs? So when I pray, give me this day my daily bread, I'm acknowledging that everything I have comes from God, my Father. Everything I need in the future is going to come from God, my Father, as well. And I'm willing to say, Lord, help me with these things. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. Now, on a side note, I would also add that when I'm praying this, it means that I should be a good steward when God does answer. That is, when the Lord does provide for me, I faithfully give back to Him, and I faithfully invest in the work of the kingdom of God. Scripture is very clear in the book of Malachi and other passages in pointing out that if I'm faithful in giving uh, my tithing and, and so forth, the Lord will provide for my needs. And we should be faithful in, in praying in thankfulness to what God has done. Don't just say, I'm going to pray. I need this. I need this. I thank. See you later, God. No, pray in thankfulness for what God has done. But you see, Jesus is encouraging us to talk to God about everything, all the daily necessities of life, and God's able to answer those prayers and to meet our needs. Otherwise, Jesus would not have told us uh, to ask when you pray, give us this day our, day our daily bread. We're to pray for our daily needs. You know, it, it, it's a daily thing. It's a daily walk that we're to do. It's trusting in Him daily. I like what, what Jesus said in Luke twelve thirty two: Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, the second part of this prayer, number two, we're to be desperate in, is forgiveness. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, that doesn't mean you can run up your credit card and then say, Lord, forgive me my debts. God may, but the credit card companies, they certainly probably won't do that. Now, the word debt, obviously, there uh, translated sins, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our shortcomings, our resentments, or what you owe to you, or what we owe to you, or the wrong that we have done. You know, there are people who say, "Well, I, I don't need forgiveness. I don't think I've sinned today." Trust me, you have. <laughs> we all have. The Bible says, if, "If you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself." Uh, trust me, thoughts that run through your mind, attitudes, even actions—you've sinned. And it's like when I wear like a white shirt like this and I eat spaghetti. I'm so so careful. I mean, I don't think I spilt on me at all until I go to take the shirt off at night and I see the spaghetti sauce on me. I was so careful. How did I do that? When did this happen? Same way as we begin to pray at night and think over our day, we realize we've got some stains of sin on us that need to be dealt with. Maybe not the sin of commission, of, of, of breaking one of the, the Lord's commandments, but maybe it's the sin of what's called the sin of omission. Remember, James tells us in James 4.17, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. In other words, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. Yes, I am. No, no. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm saying this to point out the fact that, that at some point or another, we all need to ask God, for that forgiveness of our sins. But here's the point Jesus is making. As we confess our sins, as we receive that forgiveness from Him, we should be ready in a, in a moment, in an instant, to forgive others that have sinned against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive 
our debtors. So according to Jesus, our generous and constant forgiveness of others should be the natural result of our understanding of the forgiveness that God has given to us. A simple way to put it, forgiven people ought to be forgiving people. And here's why. People are going to hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. People are going to hurt you. And you're going to hurt them. Oftentimes, not intentionally, but it's going to happen. There's no getting around it. And sometimes, little things turn into big things, and we get into these crazy feuds with people, and we don't even remember what started it in the first place. But then one thing leads to another, and now they can't do anything right, and they can't walk right, and everything is wrong with that person, and they think the same thing about you, and, and you can't do anything right. And we begin to look at each other through these, these critical uh, lenses, you know, and, 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 and you know what I'm talking about. And that bitterness can start to set in. And the problem with bitter people is they can't keep the poison to themselves. And before long, it spreads around as a root of bitterness grows and grows. Someone put it this way, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. In fact, the Bible even warns about that in Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Listen, when I hold grudges, when I hate, when I refuse to forgive, I grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? It means to make Him sad. It means to make Him sorrowful. Ephesians 4.30 32 tells us, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. But sadly, today, our society, they don't, they don't value forgiveness. In fact, forgiveness is often seen as a sign of weakness, not strength. Our culture, it's vengeance. It's payback time. You know, we believe in the old adage, we don't get mad, we get even. But the Bible teaches us that, that love covers a multitude of sins. That is, even though someone sinned against me, I need to recognize the love and the forgiveness God has given to me in order to forgive others and not become bitter. We should be forgiving, extending this forgiveness over and over and over again. But I think it's the forgiveness part that most of us struggle with. It's that place in our own personal prayer life where, where the wrestling happens. The wrestling takes place. Then the reason being is that when I'm asking God for the, for the forgiveness of my sin, that also means that I'm making a, a confession. I, I'm acknowledging that, 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 uh, that, that I've sinned. I'm making myself accountable to Him. Changes need to start taking place in my life when I confess to Him my sin, when I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. That means I no longer want or will desire to fall into that same area of sin again. A change has to take place. Listen, I'm convinced that the cost involved in prayer is not really that so much of time because we all will take the time if the need is big enough. We'll spend the time if it's important enough to us. Neither is there a lack of knowing how to pray. If you've been a Christian for even a short amount of time, you will recognize that God answers prayer. 
But I believe the biggest obstacle in our prayer life, the greatest hindrance is the fact that we just don't want to be honest with God. Because if we're really honest with God, then that means we might have to change. We might have to repent. And it's going to cost us something to change our ways. So a lot of us, we choose not to pray because we don't want to become that honest with the Lord. But if we recognize how good our God is, how He wants to take care of our lives, how He wants to wash away our sins so we can walk in holiness and purity, to give us the strength to walk in Him, then we should be willing to give up whatever sin we're holding on to. And once again, uh, we go back to the reason we're approaching Him in the first place, to accomplish His will in our lives. And, and, and uh, once again, to, to the reason, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us of our sins. Yes, we need that forgiveness. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. That when you take the time for God to forgive you of your sins, you'll be ready to forgive those that have sinned against you. If you've truly experienced the forgiveness of God in your own life, how could we not forgive someone else who's seeking forgiveness? You know, the, the, I think about it, the root of unforgiveness is pride. I'm basically saying that there's something too special about me and my rights that I do not have to follow our Lord's example. I don't have to forgive you. But you know what the Bible also says? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And since unforgiveness is an element of pride, my prayers of forgiveness are resisted because God is waiting for me to come to that place of humility first. In fact, we're told in Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin is that, that roadblock in our prayer life. Talk about this oftentimes when we get into God's word, we're reading God's word, he's speaking to our hearts as we're praying, we're communicating to him and we have that, that fellowship going on and the moment we sin, we're breaking ourselves away from that fellowship. We need to get back into that place. See, I know there's been times in my life, I'm sure there's times in your life uh, where where I'm watching my prayers not get answered because I know that I'm not right with God. And we need to make those changes in our lives so our prayers are answered. Recognize we all fall short. And we need to see that God has forgiven us, then we can truly forgive one another. So here's what Jesus says in this model prayer. I need God's provision. Thank Him for His forgiveness. And I need to forgive others. Third point, number three, we need to pray to not fall into temptation. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think I've shared this before, maybe even recently. Uh, someone said, lead me not into temptation. I can just find it just fine on my own. But you see, in this prayer, we're, we're asking God to guide us so we will not get out of his will and unnecessarily place ourselves in the way of temptation. You know, we're, we're saying, I'm saying, Lord, don't let me be tempted above my capacity to resist. And of course, he will not. In fact, the Bible tells us that. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Loose paraphrase, God will never allow you to be tempted above your ability to resist. But here's the interesting thing about temptation. It is, well, tempting. <laughs> it, it's tempting. That's the problem. You know, you wouldn't want to do it if, if it wasn't tempting. You know, you say, well, well, I would never do this or I'll never do that. And what does the devil say? Yeah, I want to bet. 
it's like a challenge to the devil because the devil knows that God, God's word, you know, warns us to take heed to those who think you stand lest you should fall. And so the devil goes, yeah, you think you could stand? Well, try this. And so it's a temptation our way. Another one. But he'll also use different bait because he knows mankind. He's been at it for thousands of years. And he knows the weak areas of your life as well as the strong ones. And he'll dangle before your eyes something more appealing, like one more basket of those Texas Roadhouse rolls. Oh, here you go. One more. How about one more? Go away. That's how clever the devil is. That's why we need to keep our guard up all times. Reminds me of the joke about the woman who was heading out the door to go shopping, but her husband told her, don't you buy any expensive dresses. His wife said, what if I find one I really, really like? Husband said, well, just say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> a couple of hours later, the woman came home with a, a new, very expensive dress. Her husband was furious with her. What did I tell you, he says. Well, the woman said, I saw this dress and I just wanted to try it on. And I went into the dressing room and put it on and looked in the mirror. It was so beautiful. I really wanted to buy it. Then I remembered what you said. So I said, get behind me, Satan. Her husband was flabbergasted. Then why did you buy the dress? Well, said the wife, when I said, get behind me, Satan. He said, looks good from behind, too. (laughs) But it's so amazing how we can become so quick to you know, condemn someone else and what they've done, and yet we rationalize our own compromised behavior, our own life. Oh, well, I'm just not as bad as this person. Or it's okay if I just do that. Sometimes there's those gray areas in our lives that come along, and we wonder, well, is this, is this right for a Christian to do or, or not to do? Here's a little test, a little litmus test that you can apply if you wonder if it's, it's an enticement to do evil or not. Two things you can do, and I challenge you to do these things. First, if you wonder if you should do a certain thing or not, pray about it and bring it into the clear light of the presence of God. You know, Actually pray specifically about that thing. Lord, would you bless as we go out and party tonight and get drunk and would you bind the Springfield Police Department that I don't get a DUI Would you be comfortable in praying about that? No, of course not. Please, uh, Lord, would you bless as I go out and flirt with this guy or girl that I'm not married to? Lord, bless me if I tell my friend this juicy bit of gossip that I just can't wait to tell them. You see, you never pray about that because you know that it's wrong. Because you know that it's wrong, they don't do it. If If you can't pray about it and say, hallowed be thy name over it, then don't do it. Number two, Ask yourself the question, how would this look if some other Christian gave into it? If you saw another believer doing what you're doing right now or about to do, how would you feel? Would it look wrong to you? Would it have, as the Bible describes, an appearance of evil? Then don't do it. Yes, deliver us from temptation is our prayer. But no, you're not going to get through this life without temptations. But my prayers, Lord, even, uh, don't even let me go down that path that would lead me to the point of temptation. Don't let me even drive past Texas Roadhouse. Just let me stay away from the restaurant altogether. No, that's not what I'm saying. You have to have discipline. But, but I'm saying don't let me foolishly put myself unnecessarily in the way of going astray. It's an appeal to God to place a watch over our eyes, over our ears, over our mouths, over our feet and hands of what we say and hear and do. Lord, help me.
Watch over me. Lead me not into temptation. So this is the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer for us. I approach this awesome God who is also my Father. I worship Him. I respect Him, His holiness. I ask for His will to be done in my life. I get to the provision part. I ask for my daily needs to be met. I I ask for the forgiveness of my sin. I turn from it. I forgive others. I stay out of the way of temptation. And I'm good to go. Well, maybe not. I mean, after all, the title of this message is, is Desperate in Prayer. So there's just one more thing I want to add uh, before we close and, and, and add to this prayer. is what Jesus added in Luke's account of the same prayer. Here in Matthew, we don't find it, but, but he gave the same prayer in Luke 11. You can turn there if you want to, but, but I'll, I'll have it up on the screen. Luke 11, verse 5 through 10. And Jesus writes this, he gives this parable. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. I think oftentimes in prayer, we ask once, maybe twice, and then if he doesn't answer in the affirmative, we just give up and say, well, it just must not be God's will. But here Jesus is teaching us to keep praying about it, to don't give up. Now, he tells a story that the people of the day would have clearly understood because in biblical times, back then, all the, each family member, they slept in all one room at night. Not different than today. They didn't have the different rooms. Everybody slept in one room. Mom, dad, son, daughter, grandma, grandpa, Uncle Fred and Aunt Melinda. I mean, they're all there. Everyone in a single room. So when you turned out the, the oil lamp for the night, you wanted it quiet. Everyone's laying there. But then this guy comes pounding on the door. Well, the man of the house doesn't want to get up. He's going to, you know, he doesn't want to step on Uncle Fred or, or Melinda. And so he says, go away. Leave us alone. But the guy keeps knocking and knocking. Hey, now I just, man, I got some friends from out of town. I got nothing in the house. I need some bread. He, oh, fine. Gets up, gives him what he asks. Now, understand, Jesus is not saying he's like the man who doesn't want to answer. He is saying your father does want to answer. However, you need to be persistent in prayer. You need to be desperate in prayer. In fact, the words that Jesus used say just that. Ask, seek, and knock. It's indicated an ascending intensity. It's growing. Ask, seek, knock. In and of itself, it's its own acronym. You know, A, ask. It's the first letter. Ask, which simply means requesting assistance. You realize you need help. Ask the Lord. Yes, seek. It denotes asking, but it adds action to it. Seek with effort. When we seek as Jesus asks us to, we're doing so with effort. In other words, Jesus wants us to do our part as well. So if you don't have a job and you pray, Lord, give us this, uh, this bread or daily bread, that doesn't mean you sit on the sofa and eat leftover Texas Roadhouse rolls. Expect God to rain down steak from heaven to go with it. No, give us this day our daily bread means give us the opportunity to earn our bread. You know, it means you need to be doing your part. You need to be out looking for a job. 
We're told in Second Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Simply, I mean, God's not going to bless us for being lazy. And the number three, K, is for knock. Knocking involves asking and acting, but also perseverance. It's as if someone is pounding on a closed door where there's almost an act of desperation and not giving up until you receive an answer. So these words are packed together. It becomes very forceful. Jesus is calling us to have a passionate, persistent, desperate prayer life. Ask, seek, knock. The idea is, Lord, I'm not backing down on this because I believe that this is your will. This prodigal son or daughter of mine, I know it's your will for them to come back into a relationship with you, so I'm going to continue to pray until I have this answer, until I see the answer. We're not going to stop praying about this, Lord. I want your blessing on this. We're not going to stop praying. Now, if it's outside God's will and He overrules it, fine. But until then, we're going to keep praying about it. Because sometimes there's something called intercessory prayer that needs to take place. Not just petition, but I'm praying in the gap. I'm interceding for someone other than myself. I'm not going to give up. Do you ever pray like that? Praying, interceding for other people? Praying for non-believers? Or do you just pray, oh Lord, save the world, amen. <laughs> that should cover it. Hey listen, if you don't put any heart in your prayers, don't put, you know, don't expect God to put much heart in answering. But if you pray like this, I believe we will start seeing more and more answers in the affirmative. I'm going to close with this. Over in the book of Acts, we read how the Jewish officials imprisoned Peter. James had already been martyred for his faith, beheaded in prison, and it looked as though Peter was about to face the same uh, fate. So what does the early church do? They, they pray. And it wasn't just, oh Lord, who did you say Peter? Yeah, he's in jail. No. I mean, they prayed passionately, persistently for Peter's deliverance. In fact, Acts 12.5 says that constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That word constant could be translated, they prayed earnestly or literally with agony. Agonizing in prayer for Peter. See, this was a storm the gates of heaven type of prayer. Lord, help Peter. You cannot let the same fate happen to him that happened to James. Save Peter. Stretching with intense desire for God to move and work. Same word, constant prayer, that was used of Jesus in Gethsemane in Luke 22 where he prayed more earnestly and as it was great Sweat as it were drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's a prayer that prevails with God. It's a prayer which we put our soul stretching out towards God. Intense, agonizing desire. Well, we know the story. Acts chapter 12, the early church is praying desperately. Peter gets delivered. In fact, we read it in Acts 12, 7 and 8. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And the light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and untie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Verse 11 says, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. It wasn't until he was out the door and walking down the street, he realized that wasn't a dream. I'm really free when he comes to himself. Listen, if we want to see God move in the same way as the early church we need to realize there's power in prayer. There's persistence in prayer. Peter knew it. The early church knew it. Though all the doors were shut, 
One remained open, and that was the door of prayer. That is today our secret weapon. Now, if we just stop there in that story, that prayer works, but there's more to the story. Because the early church, they didn't do everything right. Yeah, they were praying, and they prayed with the right attitude. They prayed continually, constantly, with a whole heart. Yet, they still doubted, because we know the rest of the story. Peter comes to the door, knocked on the door, and the servant girl, Rhoda, answers the door. And, and she's so excited that she doesn't even open the door. She just runs back to the, to the church that's praying. Hey, Peter's been set free. You know, he's alive, he's alive. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're beside yourself, they said. You're nuts, woman. But, but they, you know, he, you know, they get up and they check it out anyway. And, and Acts uh, twelve sixteen says that Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. It wasn't, yeah, we knew God was going to answer. Yeah, we're glad you're here. They, they were kind of blown away by it. They're standing there, you know, and Peter's going, hey, yeah, everyone's going. How's it going? I'm glad that it's here for us because we see that, that the early church, they were just like us. They weren't perfect. You know, the whole teaching there puts down that whole positive confession, name it and claim it type of thing. Oh, God, you've got to give this to me. If I have enough faith, then this is going to happen. Now, faith is important. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, uh, but, you know, here is what it's saying here. You know, we, we need to have faith. But we also say, pray, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So as we close, are you, are you in a crisis at the home? Are you having trouble in relationships with the spouse or your parents? There's no promises that, that God will make your home into the place you long for. But he has promised to give you the, the stability and there's supernatural help when the heat is on and all hell breaks loose. You can trust Him even in those times to come and help you. Maybe some of you here this morning are struggling with a habitual sin in your life. And just when you see signs of progress, just when you think, hey, things are going good, you fall right on your face. What you must do is believe God when He says sin will not have dominion over you. Keep trusting in His Word. Pick yourself up and go on even though you keep falling down. Don't give up. One day you'll be perfectly pure when we get to heaven, even though today you're not. Will you trust God with the struggle with Him against your sin? Some of you maybe are out of work and you're depleting your, your saving and you're beginning to wonder if the right job is ever going to come along. Believe that God is going to take care of you, that He'll not forsake you. Know that He knows your needs and He'll not withhold any good thing to those that, 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 that know Him. God is that good. We need to be desperate in prayer and really trust the Lord to come through for us. Think about this, and this will really close with this. What if today, in your daily routine, you could actually see the Lord standing right next to you physically, right there? And he says, hey, Tom, do you have some time to talk with me right now? Can we just spend some time together? I mean, this is God Almighty, the one whose hand spans the universe, you know, and all day long he comes alongside of you and says, hey, can we spend some time together? Would you say, well, Lord, I, I got so much to do. I got my kids to take care of, my wife, my husband, my job. A few minutes later, a few minutes goes by and the Lord says, how about right now? Well, my favorite TV program is on, Lord. I, I kind of wanted to watch that. Great, it's over. How about now? Well, I've been kind of wanting to want to clean up that closet. But you see, I think that without the realization that Jesus is standing right next to us, we have all sorts of excuses why not to pray. Listen, we have a loving, caring Father that is waiting to talk to you and me. And my prayer this morning is that we would see just how important prayer is in the times in which we're living.
that we'll be known as a praying church, a praying people, and we see God move in incredible ways. And I pray, and this is our prayer as well, if you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, our prayer first and foremost is that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of prayer and coming before you, Lord, recognizing how powerful you are, how mighty you are. Lord, how you see every need that we have. You know what's going on in our lives personally. Lord, maybe it's a struggle with sin. Maybe it's a struggle in the marriage. Maybe it's a struggle with finances or health. Lord, recognizing that you are a great God, a great provider. Lord, we ask for those needs to be met, Lord. We're knocking on the door. Whatever it may be, Lord, would you heal? Would you bring that prodigal back to you, Lord God? Help him or her to to know you and to live for you as they once did. Lord, would you do a work in our nation, in our capital, in our our government? Lord, would, would you turn the people... That, that make the, 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 the laws, Lord, give them a heart for you to know you and make laws in, according to your, to your word. Father, we pray for revival in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, that we would not be led to temptation. Lord, even more so, we would not give into that temptation. Lord, we thank you for the strength and the power that you give to us to resist the temptation. Help us to walk in your ways, in your word to please you in all things that we do. Thank you for this time this morning. We give you all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.